0: Hello there.
1: Hi, Sri Kumar. Welcome.
2: Thank you. How are you doing?
1: Great. How are you?
2: I am also doing fine. Where are you?
1: Uh, I am in Lyon, in France, right now. You okay. can't tell by okay. this background, but <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, really excited to to meet you today, and I will be double focusing on on your voice, Sri <laughs> Kumar, through this uh, this conversation and actually to to get started i was really curious to to have this chat on happiness with you because i have seen in a few places that you have been called a happiness guru and i was curious to hear first how do you feel uh, about this uh, this label <laughs>
2: <laughs> the happiness guru was a label somebody stuck on me, and once okay. I stuck a chord because one person said that, and then everybody started using it. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's the universe talking. <laughs> so it's not something I would have chosen myself, but mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I don't have any objection to it. <laughs>
1: OK, so you kind of
2: and went it through easy, the, the flow. So many people have heard about me as a happiness guru. So if I simply say, you know, I'm Sri Kumar Rao, the happiness guru, they instantly say, oh, you're the person who that TED talk, those uh, interviews that I did and so on. They can recognize it. So it's it's handy.
1: OK, and if I would ask you, for example, today, how happy are you? What comes to your mind when people ask you this question and how do you sort of evaluate it?
2: Uh, I'm frequently asked that question, am I happy all the time? And the answer is no, I wish I was, but I am not. But I think it's reasonable to say I am, quote, happy most of the time. Mm -hmm. And certainly much, much more so than I was, let's say, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was a mass of frustrations. And, you know, why is the world not working out the way I want it to (laughs) type of thinking?
1: That's super interesting that you that you mentioned it because yeah your first TED talk was already quite a few years ago I think 2009 uh, it was released the first one so there's been quite some time that already has passed and maybe your views on happiness have evolved a little bit um, and I think one of the things you mentioned in your talk is how sort of happiness is already built within us how did you come with that concept if even yourself, you felt at the start that, OK, maybe happiness is not that natural <laughs> <laughs> that actually, <laughs> not that easy.
2: <laughs> it, it's not an original idea. All of the you know great sages have been proclaiming that for centuries. And in particular, a person who has very deeply influenced me is an Indian sage called Ramana Maharshi, mm-hmm. who lived in the late 19th and mid to, uh, to the mid 20th centuries and Ram Dass, who passed away about a year ago and is a very well-known teacher in America. And they all say the same thing, happiness is inbuilt in you. And you can recognize that very easily yourself. Can you imagine sometime when you were confronted with a scene of spectacular beauty? Maybe an ocean, a rainbow, a mountain top covered with snow and you say, oh my God, how beautiful and it took you outside of yourself to a place of great calm and serenity. Mm-hmm. And all the problems you have, your boyfriend problems, your career issues, your financial setbacks, and you still had all of them, but you still felt how wonderful it right? Have you ever wondered why that happened? That happened because for that instant, somehow you accepted the universe exactly as it was. You weren't trying mm-hmm. to make changes. You didn't say, "Oh, you know, that's a beautiful valley, but that tree in the foreground has too many crooked branches." And you give me a chainsaw in twenty minutes, and I'm. <laughs> no, that tree in the foreground with its crooked branches was just fine. And the moment you accepted the universe exactly as it was, you didn't have to do anything to experience the happiness that's a part mm-hmm. of you. Came welling out. That's what I mean when I say happiness is inherent in you. But most of the time, we don't accept the universe exactly as it is. We want to go out and make changes. No, no, this is not the way it should be. <laughs> this is the way it should be. And the universe, of course, as you have, I'm sure you've discovered, pays no attention whatsoever to what you want. It just goes off doing its own thing. Now, of course, the question inevitably comes on, so does that mean one should not try to do anything? You know, mm. <laughs> Have this pointless? And the answer is no, it doesn't mean that at all. It does mean that you should make all the changes in your life that you can see. You have a vision for yourself. In Mm. that vision for yourself, there is a, a, a place where you are financially with regard to your career, with regard to your relationships and so on. By all means, make all of that happen. But make all of that happen. From the perspective of this is my path in life, so I'm going to try. Don't make it from the space of I got to have that for me to enjoy. Man. Mm. <laughs> yes, you yeah, like yeah. perfect as it is. You are going to do it. You're fully happy. You are going to try to make changes. And if those changes happen, fantastic. If those changes don't happen, you don't succeed. Fantastic. Make it from the place of fullness
0: mm-hmm. as
2: to from the place of one. And when That's you, do, perfect. It's, course, <laughs> you find that every day is great, yeah, you know, horrible things happen today. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, but it was very interesting that you mentioned this um, this aspect about uh, beauty because there's one moment in my life that I've had a moment of happiness that I could not really. Let's explain. Uh, I think, you know, we can say, oh, as you say, maybe we got that job and we were happy, or we had a nice moment with loved ones and we were happy. And we can sort of explain that or search that. Um, but a few years ago, I had gone on a very short trip to San Francisco. And I don't necessarily see big cities as my favorite place to be happy and have a vacation (laughs) and while San Francisco is really beautiful it's also a very busy city there's a lot going on I was there by myself and I was going to go take a night bus uh, to Los Angeles so I'm just spending some time over there and I'm by the two bridges in San Francisco and there's this beautiful uh, sunset and suddenly I start crying of happiness And I just felt so at peace and so good and so calm, as you were mentioning, despite everything that else that could be happening in my life. And after a few minutes, I just couldn't explain it of why was I so happy in this moment and what was happening. Um, But I I still have this very vivid memory of, you know, basically what you were expressing just before of sometime realizing sort of the beauty and accepting. Life as it is, despite uh, the different worries that we can have all the time. Otherwise,
2: absolutely. You hit the. <laughs> Please pronounce your name to me.
1: I know it's a very hard name for living <laughs> internationally. Uh, my name is Orland. 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 Orland.
2: I can manage that. Orland. Okay.
1: That's really yeah. good. That's really good. But I think you have a lot of experience with different. Uh, cultures,
2: right? Yes. I have students from every major tradition, every, you know, probably 80, 90 countries in the world. (laughs)
1: How, How do you see that maybe the vision of happiness of your students or other people that you have met who are, you know, from different backgrounds, different cultures, do you find that their vision of it and the way that they approach happiness is widely different? Or do you find that there is some very common aspects?
2: It is very different. In the West in particular, people think that happiness is if you go out and achieve Mm -hmm. position, career, hierarchical success, a lot of money, you know, material goods, uh, mansions, yachts, things of that nature, then I'm going to be happy. And very often in uh, Asia and Asian cultures, it is I'm going to be happy when I am accepted by my parents. I'm part of a good, strong, cohesive family unit and mm. the right role model, then I am going to be happy. And it varies depending on where your con- cultural conditioning is. But what does not vary is invariably you feel that it's outside. Mm. And the whole Thesis of my course is happiness is not outside; it's inside, and nothing can make you happy. This is where we all break down. We think if this happens, then I will be happy. That's what I call the if-then model. It's wrong. Mm. You are happy. Period. Right now, you have everything. <laughs> completely happy. If only you recognize that. So, do you should you not make changes? Of course, you should try to make changes in the world but make it from the place of happiness, not from the mm. place. If this happens, then I will be happy.
1: All right. That, yeah, that's very interesting. And I think it goes back also to acceptance, like you were mentioning of kind of how the universe is, how our lives are. Um, one thing I was super curious to ask you around the topic of acceptance and realizing that we are already happy or that we do already have happiness within ourselves is how do you personally distinguish between that's a different types of thing that should be accepted or not so for example if you have a kid at school that is being bullied my you know first answer would be uh, well of course he should not be or she shouldn't be accepting to be bullied And us as a society or parents or professor, uh, we shouldn't be accepting that either. That would be my first approach. So how do you yourself distinguish between those elements of um, maybe true acceptance or complete acceptance and maybe things that naturally we would want to not accept and for perhaps good reasons?
2: Complete acceptance is there all the time, Orlando. Acceptance is misconstrued. By acceptance, I don't mean you lie down and you don't do anything about it. Mm. By acceptance, what I mean is you acknowledge, this is not what I would have liked to have happened, but this is what happened. You know, Mm, this is the situation. So now you're in a point where you have a situation, say, okay, what do I do about this situation? And then you take action on that. Your Mm. kid is being bullied. What is the appropriate action? Should I reach out to the parents of the kid who did the bullying? Should I reach out to the school or the principals? You know, if I do that, is it likely that the bullying will get worse and my child will suffer even more? Those are all the subjective calculations that you make. Mm. And you make those calculations based upon your evaluation of the situation, your own life experience, your feeling of what works and so on. So you take all of those actions and we take all of those actions. And of course, the number one action you take is you tell your child, yes, you are being bullied and no, it is not a good thing. And no, it is not fair. But then life frequently is not fair Mm. for the notion you have anyway. So, you've got a choice. You can either let this get you down to the point where you cry and say, Oh my God, and you have a miserable experience of life. Or you can look upon that as a challenge and say, Okay, this is a game. How do I uh, succeed in uh, changing the situation to the way I like? Mm -hmm. And if you treat it as a game, then all of a sudden it becomes enjoyable. You may lose, but it's fun. (laughs) So you keep trying. I'll give you a concrete example. You know, I had a situation where uh, uh, you must know that I taught my course at many of the top business schools in the world, and therefore many of my students got jobs in the financial sectors, Mm. Uh, investment banking, private equity, venture capital, hedge funds, and so on. These are not warm, fuzzy places. (laughs) So I have lots and lots of stories about toxic bosses. And one of my students was telling me about her boss and how totally toxic he was. And so I listened to her and said, look, you know, let's play a game. And your game is you're going to make your boss smile. Mm. So every time you have a meeting, what you're going to do is you're going to make him smile. And if you make him smile, you won. And if he doesn't smile, he won. (laughs) So just do that. And all of a sudden, you know, she forgot all about the toxic things he was doing. And she's just looking at, you know, can I do something which will make him smile? And all of a sudden it became a game and his toxicity became a byproduct that she could live in because she was busy playing her game. And he didn't even know he was playing a game (laughs) entirely on her. She made it a game. You always have that ability. You can either let life roll roll you over, but if you let life roll you over, life will do that. Mm. You get to decide.
1: I think it's interesting that um yeah, you explained a little bit further what you meant with acceptance because I think also for me, perhaps because I'm not a native English speaker, I see acceptance as sort of agreeing with what's happening or uh-huh. um so I think it was really helpful that it's, in you know, fact, just the first step of taking action and that you realize and that you. This
2: happened. Yeah. Acceptance means you recognize this happened. This mm. is not what i like to have happened, but this happened. Mm. So, so I what think do we- for
1: me, yeah. So, yeah, not necessarily agreeing with it and just realizing maybe that it happened. And in that sense, uh uh, it, it made a lot of sense to to see acceptance in this way and as a first step to action and not agreeing or <laughs> going with everything that, uh, that happens. And um, it was also interesting that you started to talk about uh, all of the successful people that you've been work- working with, students and also, you know, successful professionals. And I was curious to hear from your experience, what do you see are sort of the, external factors that they identify as making them the most unhappy? And on the other hand, what are the things that contribute to their happiness um, at that level? Because we always oppose usually, okay, be successful, being happy. Um, So what have you seen in, in their life that sort of creates those outside sources of unhappiness and
2: they Otherwise, what
1: contributes to, to their
2: happiness? of, uh, of uh, Unhappiness, if you will, are always when they want something very badly, which is a stretch and they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Something they want is uh, career advancement, hierarchical advancement, uh, material possessions. And many of the times the material possessions are actually other people. Uh, You know, I want to be married to such and so and so on. And the more you get hung up on, I need that for my happiness, Mm. the more you are actually deeply unhappy. Because even if you get what you want, you will find that that is not what you really wanted anyway. And this happens particularly, I thought I would be happy when I became department head or (laughs) vice president or uh, executive vice president or CEO. And you find out, no, after some time, you have just got a different set of problems. And uh, so that is when they realize, you know, this is not it. You know, mm-hmm. look often, you know, people get married Oh, and particularly look at celebrity marriages, you know, film stars and so on. Oh, you know, life would be wonderful if I got married to this person. And <laughs> so many people I know want to be married to this person. And look at the divorce rate for persons who married to that person. So that is when the realization comes in. No, it's not out there. It's in there between my ears. Mm-hmm. I'll tell Uh, uh, this has happened virtually every time I taught my course at a top business school uh, I'll tell you the first time it happened I was teaching at Columbia Business School and a woman came up to me and said Professor Rao I was in and she mentioned a remote uh, uh, part of a third world country and the people there had nothing Mm. and the people there had nothing. She meant they don't have the things that we take for granted, hot and cold running water, indoor toilets, and so on. They certainly did not have uh, internet and email and uh, smartphones, but uh, but they seemed so happy, and there was almost an aggrieved note in her voice, whereas mm. uh, how can they be happy when they don't have that? And I have all of this, and it feels as if I'm taking <laughs> a 100-pound rock on my head, and The point is that we can never solve an internal problem with external action.
0: Hmm.
2: Let me repeat it. That's what we try all the time. We try to solve an internal problem with external action. I am not happy. I feel this deep sense of unease, of incompleteness, and I go out and you know, try to make more money, try to become a partner in my law firm, try to become an entrepreneur running a billion dollar company. I, you know, go on exotic things like I <laughs> take a submersible to reach the Titanic because it's an adventure one. So we all know how that worked out. It mm. never solved an internal problem with external action. But that is what we're trying to do all the time. It does not work. After some time, people realize this is what they're trying to do, and those are the kinds of people who find me out, who take my course, and become my coaching clients, and so on. But the vast majority of people never recognize that this is the problem, and they keep changing. I thought that if I got this, I would be happy, and now realize that it's not this; it's that, and then you <laughs> go on using that.
1: Do you find that there's a specific element that makes people have this realization? Perhaps, I don't know, they're at work and they have a burnout or uh, maybe they are diagnosed with a, you know, deadly illness. Do you find there's specific elements in common for people to realize this or there's sort of many ways this can happen yeah. and doesn't need to be as dramatic as, you know, burnout or or illness?
2: I cannot answer that question because it's happened to me numerous, numerous times. Let me get rid of that. It can happen anyway. There are people who just read something in a book and all of a sudden it comes on. I've had multiple people tell me that they listen to one of my YouTube videos and that's prompted them to say, hey, Mm -hmm. what's on it? And there are many people who have all of that and they never make the connection. So I mm. really can't explain it. It could be any or all of them.
1: It's hard to pinpoint a precise. I can't uh, it. Hmm. And you mentioned also, um, usually we associate ourselves a lot with work and we spend a lot of time at work. And you uh, had written a book about you know happiness at work. Ideas. For you, was it um, something that you were sort of always happy to uh, work with, or did you use a certain process or certain strategies to sort of be happier with with your career and and your work?
2: No, I mean I was for a long time deeply unhappy with my mm-hmm. career. And now I am not unhappy. I you know certainly do wish that I was more famous, better known, you know, connected high, <laughs> so on. But you know it's okay. You know whatever is going to come to me is going to come to me, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to accept it. Am I going to try for more? Absolutely. I raise my fees all the time. Mm-hmm. And if it happens fine, if it doesn't happen, fine. My well-being is not dependent on that. That is the big change. Whereas formerly, my well-being was dependent on that. I would say, why is this not happening? This is what I want, etc. And now it doesn't matter. Mm. I have to try for more. It may happen, may not happen. If it happens, fantastic. If it doesn't happen, fantastic. Because How do we find this? Sorry, is, go ahead. <laughs> each day is what you have. So am I going to waste today trying to be uh, dissatisfied because of what I wanted to have and it didn't happen? How silly.
1: I always find it very fascinating to talk with very successful people who still tell me, I wish I would be more this or I wish I would do uh, more that. And I, you know, I find that it's also a great way to stay uh, motivated. But obviously, you know, with everything that you've already accomplished for someone from the outside, um, you know, to hear you still say things that, OK, I wish I would be more, more famous or maybe have more awards or be helping even more people. Um, It's always interesting to, you know, to contrast with uh, what we can also see and and know about you. Um, But I think also for a long time, you've been looking at uh, ancient philosophies to approach uh, your life and your work. And even though society and the way maybe we see achievements in our societies have evolved so much (laughs) since maybe those, you know, ancient philosophies have been uh, sort of developed. How do you see that they are still um, functioning in those days? You know, society has changed so much, but somehow the same principles still applies.
2: Those principles are beyond time, Olande. The mm-hmm. principles are always valid. Society has changed because it has given us many more. Ways of being unhappy that <laughs> we had because the world is so common, so much more you could do. You know, if you look back uh, 300 years, you know, the King of England, the Mughal Emperors of India, you know, if it was hot, it was hot, you know, maybe mm. they, some things with water and curtains and so on, but it was hot. But well, now, you know, even the not very well off people have access to air conditioning and so on. So you're living a far, far higher la- level. Except
1: in Europe. We don't we don't use AC.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. A lot of Europe you don't have ACs, but in Europe it doesn't get no that <laughs> hot. It didn't used to get that hot anyway, huh? But you have uh, access to a lot of things that you didn't have before. Mm, you know, you can uh, travel to a different continent in a, a few hours. So, three hundred years ago, what would have been a six-month journey, you know, basically is less than a day today. Mm. But despite all of that, our level of acceptance, our level of in- internal well-being has not changed. So what happens is that the more people recognize that it's not out, and we're always looking for something out there. And when we recognize that the answer is not out there, it's between your ears, that's when the transition begins to happen. Mm. And that's when you discover you've always been happy. You've just spent a life (laughs) learning to be unhappy.
1: It's about the mindset, right? Yes. <laughs> one One question actually I had on this, uh, because a lot of time when we look at different research or things like that around happiness, it shows that mindset plays a really big part in it. Uh, so I was curious to hear from you, do you still have things that maybe really bothers you, really frustrates you? And if that's the case, then how do you approach it in, in that moment?
2: Well, there are lots of things that really bother me. The difference is that I now recognize very quickly, this is bothering me. And then Mm -hmm. I go to, is this so important? Why do I let it bother me? Mm -hmm. And that change happens very, very, very fast. And as I do that, the thing that bothers me, I realize it's not worth getting bothered about. You know, I'll I'll give you an example. One of the things that I really get annoyed about is I go to the supermarket and I'm about to pull into the parking uh, space and I can't because somebody's left their grocery cart out there. (laughs) That really, really, really bothers me. And usually I used to get livid. and I say, okay, there is some person out there, you know, some thoughtless, blank, blank, expletive, deleted, who did that. But am I going to let my could day be affected Mm. by this person's thoughtless action? If I do that, I'm letting that person have control over my well-being. Why would I want to do that? And the moment I recognize that, I say, okay, it's a pain. I pick up another spot and I take that card and put it back in the store and say, okay, if everybody did that, life would be better. Mm -hmm. So I just do my part of it. But... The pause where you think about, am I going to let that person's action affect me and ruin my day? That is the key.
1: Okay. And thus, for you, recognizing that and then moving on, is it enough? Or do you have sort of follow-up processes to maybe get rid of those, you know, negative feelings or tensions like meditation, maybe, I don't know, kickboxing To just feel like, okay, in that moment, I didn't let it, you know, bother me. But maybe, you know, in here in the body is still, was somehow there and I need to get away.
2: Meditation is very important, Alante. But I do not think that meditation should be restricted to one time, which is you say, I'm going to sit down and meditate for 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever per day. Mm -hmm. Meditation is something you should be doing all the time. So you're consciously aware of the fact that you're not who you think you are, you're pure-spirited, you always have that running in the back of your mind, no matter what you're doing. And what I do is when I read books, which uh, uh, make an impression on me, particularly books of a spiritual nature, like Mm -hmm. uh, the teachings of Ramana Maharshi, for example, I don't just read it, I highlight it, I make notes. And every time when I'm in a down phrase, I go back to my notes and look at the portions I've highlighted and they have, literally have the capacity to transform consciousness. So I do that very frequently because I always have a book with me, you know, which mm-hmm. I, is a worthwhile book, either something I have read in there or something that I am reading. And when I do that, I find that These books literally have the capacity to elevate your consciousness. So I'm always looking for ways to do that. And when that happens, happiness automatically comes into your life as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Trying to be happy doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> so if I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And if I do that, I will be happy. It doesn't work. And many people say, do X, Y, and Z. You know, go out and exercise, you know, take karate lessons, go salsa dancing, go jogging, or, you know, do things and they will make you happy. No, they don't make you happy. They trigger something in you so you feel less unhappy than you did before. But actions don't make you happy. Mm-hmm. But when you realize that what you're doing is you're living in a construct and you built it yourself, because that's one of the core teachings of my course and my coaching. We do not live in a real world, we live in a construct. We're all living in the matrix. This is not a matrix created by an alien civilization not to enslave us, this is something that we created with our mental chatter and our mental models. And the moment we recognize that, if we don't like what we're experiencing, we can deconstruct it and build it up again. Mm-hmm. And we can do this over and over again. And that's the core of my course. That's the course of my coaching.
1: You have a, a famous quote as well, which is that we spend our life learning to be unhappy. <laughs> so would you say that books, for example, have been a good way for you to to sort of fight this, uh, this uh, learning of being unhappy?
2: Yes, we have been misled. We have been misled into believing I need this to succeed. I need to be number one, I need to make uh, you know, X thousand dollars in income every month, I need to be famous, I need to uh, be CEO, department, whatever it is, I need this to be happy. That's not true. And in fact, your quest for that can actually make you unhappy when you find you're not getting there. Mm. You don't need that to be happy. So most people make the mistake, if I get this, I will be happy. Wrong. (laughs) Happy now. And then the probability that you will get what you want actually increases. Do you? In order to get, not I will be happy when I get to my goal, but I will be happy. And if I am happy, then I'm more likely to get to my goal.
1: Mm. That's a a good point. And you were also mentioning earlier, we were talking about the different things that still bother you and that you can manage to to accept. And that obviously we've been going through this conversation, how we can have this mindset and feeling that, okay, we are already happy. Um, Even with this vision, do you still have moments or things in your life that naturally sort of bring you a boost of happiness, maybe like reading a book or something like that, or not necessarily?
2: Lots of things. Reading books is certainly one of Reading certain types of books is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, being with my grandchildren is another one of them. And doing things with my wife and, you know, my family is another one of them. And high up on that list is uh, nature. You know, mm-hmm. any kind, mountain, desert, you know, sea, you know, just looking at that, just going out into the mid my backyard and seeing the sunset and I have spectacular sunsets from my backyard does it. And just contemplating the universe,
0: mm.
2: you know, how vast it is and how wonderful and how really totally insignificant you are you're all puffed up with oh the world needs to conform to me but you you you're you're nothing you're not even a grain of sand at the beach consider this vast universe there are thousands of millions of galaxies each one of those galaxies contains billions of stars <laughs> each one of those stars probably you know each one of them has a uh, you know a a bundle of uh, planets going around them, and you're in an inconsequential star around a insignificant planet, a tiny mass at there you know if everything were to go, what would it matter in the scale scale of the universe it's totally toast totally, totally insignificant, <laughs> so if you contemplate the cosmos, you recognize how vast it is and how little you are, and it really doesn't matter.
1: I don't know if you would define yourself as a spiritual person, but to me, I feel like you're more of a spiritual person than me, for example. Um, do you find that being spiritual uh, helps feeling happier or being happier?
2: Uh, spiritual is a label, so I don't like to use a, use it. I don't think mm-hmm. that I'm a spiritual person, but numerous people have told me that I am. So <laughs> you know, in their view, I am. But I think that's that the, why
1: I was making the comparison with also myself, because I don't really know you personally and I don't know how you would, let's say not define yourself. But if you consider yourself spiritual or not, if it maybe it's not a label for you or not a question for you, um, that makes sense as well. But uh, but I was interested to hear your, your opinion on that.
2: I simply find out what works for me. I want to be happy. We all want to be happy. And I found something that works for me. And what I've discovered is that what works for me also works for a lot of other people. So I share what I know.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: have you seen that beyond having this uh, maybe cohesion and acceptance of, you know, the universe, how it's working and accepting again that we can already have happiness within us? Do you find that there are certain habits that help um, when at least feeling less unhappy I, <laughs> or on the journey? I, I, encourage,
2: I encourage all of my clients to think in terms of their awareness is like a flashlight.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What does a flashlight do? A flashlight illuminates whatever you shine it on, correct? You shine true, it on true, true. the floor, it illuminates the floor, shine it on the ceiling, it lights up the ceiling. Take the flashlight of your awareness right now and shine it on the chair in which you're sitting. And the moment you do that, you become aware of the pressure of your buttocks on the seat, you become aware of the fabric against the back of your thigh. 30 seconds ago, you were not aware of any of this, but now you are. Mm. Why is that? Because of where you shine the flashlight of your awareness on. Where do we typically shine the flashlight of our awareness on? Typically, we shine it on the three, four things that are wrong in our lives, the problems we have in our lives. And what about the 50 or 60 things that are pretty damn good about our lives? You don't have to Mm. worry whether you're going to have food to eat, you don't. You have a bed to sleep in. You have a roof over your head. You have a job that pays you or at least uh, uh, some form of compensation. You're not starving. You're not in want. That's a big deal. Mm. Now, when I pointed out you nod your head, yes, it is a big deal. (laughs) You don't feel it's a big deal. That's because of where do you shine the flashlight of your awareness on? So I encourage people to think of your awareness as a flashlight and consciously, deliberately shine it on the many ways in which you are incredibly fortunate and blessed. And when you do that, you become rooted in the feeling of appreciation, gratitude. And the advantage of that is when you're in the feeling of appreciation, gratitude, you're not angry, you're not nervous, you're not anxious, you're not stressed out. The two cannot coexist. Mm. so use your flashlight of awareness as a tool and every time you're upset every time you're in turmoil recognize that you're shining the flashlight of awareness on the things that you think are wrong in your life don't do that
1: (laughs) i really like this this (laughs) metaphor of flashlight because i think it's so easy to to visualize um in the mind and to understand the The concept and it made me naturally think about um of okay if I have the flashlight and then I imagine myself, you know, I'm in this dark place and I'm using the flashlight to see all the good things that maybe I'm you know sitting on or working towards too.
2: Exactly correct. Exactly correct.
1: Then naturally I also think, oh, but then maybe a dog is gonna pass by and attack me if i'm just looking with my flashlight straight ahead i'm not gonna maybe see him if he's coming from another side um so to follow up on your metaphor then would you say that sometimes we need to maybe get a second flashlight that also illuminates potential danger or sort of move the flight li- flashlight uh 360 from time to time to see the dangers yeah or not focus on, on that at all. You don't all.
2: have to worry about that because you automatically look at potential danger and so on. The point is, you can even look at the potential danger from the point of view of, you know, you are happy and you are successful. And ultimately, if you have a recognition that whatever is going to happen to you will happen, mm-hmm. nothing you can do to prevent it. And whatever is not going to happen will not happen, no matter how much you try to make it happen. So you live your life knowing that the best you can do is the best you can do. Abraham Lincoln had a beautiful way of putting it. In a second inaugural, he said, with ballast towards none, with charity for all, we will do the right as God gives us to see the right. Remember, he did say we will do the right. He said we will do the right as God gives us to see the right. Mm -hmm. What God gives us to see the right tomorrow may be different from what he gives us to see the right today, in which case tomorrow we will do things differently. But at any given point, that's where we are. With Palace Towards not, with Charity for All, we will do the right as God gives us to see the right. Hmm. And when you genuinely are in that space, you don't have to try to be happy. You find that joy just comes into your life.
1: So your recommendation from what I hear is would be to let go a little bit of control. I think in society, generally, we're very much (laughs) controlled and controlled also, perhaps. But sort of letting go of of that uh, need to oversee everything and, and have everything, you know, prepared, planned and decided.
2: Absolutely, yes. We do not have control. We never had control. We never will have control. Recognize that and ex- don't express, expe- don't accept it, embrace it.
0: That's mm-hmm. the nature
1: of. All right, very interesting. Do you have, you know, also following this, um, maybe last tips or advice on people who would think, okay, I really want to be happy, but I hear that I shouldn't be trying to be happy. Okay. What would be That's sort of the good. advice uh, that you would give to them?
2: I'm going to give you a tip. How you can have a terrific day every day. Okay.
1: That sounds like the best best advice.
2: So you do that. <laughs> good. Okay, here's how you can have an absolutely terrific day every day. And it's very simple. The way in which you have a terrific day every day is you get up in the morning and you decide, I'm going to have a terrific day.
1: Terrific day. <laughs>
2: Most of us think, and this is erroneous thinking, most of us think, in order for me to have a terrific day, two things should happen. Mm. One, things should happen which I want to happen, and things should not happen which I don't want to have happen. Neither of these has anything to do with having or not having a terrific day. It's erroneous thinking. Hmm. we are smart, we're going to say, I'm going to have a terrific day. And inevitably, in my terrific day, feces is going to fall from the sky. (laughs) And when feces falls from the sky, because I'm smart, I'll have allocated two hours to clean up the shit that falls from the sky. And I'm going to have a terrific time while I'm doing it. And if you recognize that, and if you're constantly saying, "Am I going to let this destroy my terrific day?" You'll be amazed at how much. You know, I, I'll give you a cast. There was somebody getting out of his uh, uh, driveway in order to, uh, you know, go to an important meeting, and he got mm-hmm. swiped by another car. And that other car went off, and he had a brand new Mercedes, and the car swiped him and left a long gash, a <laughs> length of the car, it broke off. His, uh, rear view and he just the other car just kept going so he couldn't even get the license so he didn't know do that, who did that and now he's going to be late for his beating and you know all the rest of that
0: hmm. now
2: he can get all upset and angry and say oh my you know this is a lousy day but if you do that what you've just done is you've let the driver of that other car take your perfect day away and if you ask yourself and say, am I going to let this person steal my perfect day from me? Because that's what you're doing, though you don't recognize it. If you ask yourself, am I going to let that person say, no, I'm not going to let that idiot take my perfect day from me. I'm going to continue <laughs> having my perfect day. Of course, I've got to do some stuff. i got to call the insurance company. i got to take my car to the body shop. And, you know, it, it may cost me some money, including my deductible. Unfortunate, but that's life. <laughs> I'm not going to let it affect my emotional domain. And the moment you recognize that and make that determination, you'll find you can have a terrific day every day. It's that simple. It's not easy though, but it's simple. <laughs> <A> it's simple. <laughs> yes.
1: It's always the simplest uh, advice that worked the best. <laughs>
2: Good there by far.
1: I have one very quick final question. If you have uh, a minute, sure, extra. Uh, yes, so very quickly, just if you have in mind the happiest person that you know. And it's a very difficult question.
2: <laughs> Who is the happiest person? It, that?
1: It can be someone that you know personally that it's in your maybe among your loved ones. It can also be someone that you are not necessarily close with, but that you maybe have in your network. Uh, It can can also also be.
2: I know who was very happy and she was so happy and never could understand it. She's no longer there. That is my mother. Okay. (laughs) And I learned a great deal of what I did from my mother. And at the time that she was telling me something, I always thought she's crazy. You know, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Anytime any misfortune happened, she would inevitably say, oh, how nice that this did not happen.
1: Mm So
2: what happened, I'll give you an idea. I was playing squash and uh, I tried to make a difficult shot and I ran full tilt against the wall and, you know, broke my glasses and my glasses went into my eye. Fortunately, it didn't go into my eye, went into the side where it gave a nasty flesh wound. That day happened to be my birthday, and I mm. got a mother saying that you know she wished me well and happy birthday. And I wrote to her what happened and said, "There it is, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of birthday I had." And she wrote back saying, "How wonderful!" So she said, "What's so wonderful about it?" Said, "Well, <laughs> your glasses broke, and the steel shaft could have gone into your eye, in which case you are lost an eye." But instead, mm. it just went into the side. So it gave you a nasty flesh wound, which is unfortunate, but you'll recover and it won't have much impact. And you were in a squash boat, So you had someone who could immediately take you to the hospital and give you the care that you needed. And uh, so something to be grateful for. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> you know, totally beside myself. You know, this is the way to say. But she's actually <laughs> right. You can decide what you choose to look at, and she always looked at life that way. And that's a lesson I learned long after she passed away, unfortunately. So I never got to tell her you were right; I was wrong. Mm.
1: Well, that's an amazing example. Thank you so much for sharing, Srikumar, uh, and sharing this uh, this chat Have with a
2: me. Terrific week, and thank you. Sir. Let me know when the podcast comes out.
1: Yep, I'll write you tomorrow with uh, sort of just the follow-up of today so you can have all the information. But uh, otherwise, enjoy your meeting and the rest of your day.
2: Thank you. All the best <laughs> to you.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.